Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we bow before this morning. Thank you that you are alive and that through your Son, Jesus Christ, we can also have life and have abundant life. Lord, I just pray you be with Lester as he shares from your word this morning. May you give him clarity of mind and thought as he shares what you have laid on his heart. Pray this on Jesus' name. Amen. Greetings in Jesus' name to each one of you. It's a joy to worship together again on another Lord's Day. <clears throat> in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says, he's referring to our salvation. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and carefully and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that will come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Peter's saying that the Old Testament prophets, as they wrote about this coming salvation, and I'm sure there was a lot of that that they couldn't comprehend or fully understand they searched for it. They searched for what was God trying to say? How was this going to come about? What was going to happen? And they marveled, I believe, at God's plan of salvation. And today for a sermon, I want to turn to the Old Testament. I've been spending some time reading and studying the Old Testament prophets and passages of Scripture that I haven't spent a lot of time in and that partly because sometimes they seem a little difficult to understand, or maybe you know, just we, we think of them as just referring to something that happened back then as history books, and, and they are that. But I marvel when I see God's plan of salvation so clearly spelled out in the Old Testament, um, and how that... God was preparing his people to receive that salvation, to bring and to prepare his people to bring about um, also Christ's coming and receiving salvation through that. Um, I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 48 today. I've chosen this passage, this chapter here, and I'm, I'm going to basically just, just go verse kind of verse by verse through this, and notice what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah about his future plan for his people. First of all, I want to look at some reasons why we should study the Old Testament prophets. And I want to just, just help you to realize the, the value that is found in there. His words, God's words through the Old Testament prophets were as, were as true for them as they are for us today. Yes, he was speaking many times specifically to the children of Israel and, and telling them what was going to happen, but also speaking to us today as God's people. And we, we just see how that God's plan of salvation is revealed through that. 
They speak to us today about how God sees us and how he deals with sinners. And God does not change. Three verses I have here that emphasize the fact that God does not change. Yes, there's, there's a change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There's you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you know, it was told you to do like this, and now I want you to do like this. But the character of who God is and his overall plan for his people does not change. Malachi 3.16 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And I want to look at the context of that verse. You don't need to turn here if you don't want to. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. But Malachi chapter 3, where God says, or the prophet says, God does not change. And that because of that, the sons of Jacob are not consumed. So he's speaking here in chapter 3 of his messenger coming, referring to Christ coming. And he's speaking of judgment. I'll just begin in verse 5. I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away and alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet the days of your fathers, yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And I'll stop right there. So we see there that God had a plan of salvation. God does not change and even though his people turned against him at times, He's calling them to return to him. Also, Romans 11, verse 29 says, The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And James 1, 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Or, in other words, as the New Living Translation words it, He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. So we can, we can rely upon God, we can rely upon Him because we know that what He says will come to pass and what He said in the past will be true and is true. Now many of the prophecies in the Old Testament have sort of a double meaning. Uh, for example, in turn with me now to Isaiah 48. I'll be spending quite a bit of time here. Here in, in verse 14, he talks about Babylon and the Chaldeans and, and what Isaiah was doing here was prophesying about the time when, when the children of Israel would be taken, um, well, they were, they were captured and taken to Babylon and then returned again to their home country. And then we can also turn to Revelations. In Revelations 18, it says, Then a mighty angel took a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus the violence... Thus, thus, with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. So we see Babylon referred to in the time of Revelations as well, a future time. So we know that there's, there's a bit more meaning there than just the city of Babylon, the, the empire there in, in the time of the Old Testament prophets. But it, it also has significance in the future a um, form of Babylon, I believe, is what he's referring to there in 
revelations. The Old Testament prophecy many times was literally fulfilled and then continues to be fulfilled in various ways. So God would prophesy of some, some king he was going to bring to, to punish his people when they turned away from him, um, and, and it would be literally fulfilled. But then that's also something that he continues to do today. And, and we'll see this in, as we dig deeper into chapter 48 here, how God refines us and um, corrects us. I'm going to read now this, these 22 verses here in Isaiah chapter 48. And then we'll get into God's redemption plan as seen in Isaiah 48. And I, I've given my sermon this title, God's Anger Deferred. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and have come forth from the wellsprings of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. For they call themselves after the holy city and lean on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass because I knew that you were obstinate and your neck was an iron sinew and your brow bronze. Even from the beginning, I have declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you. Lest you should say, my idol has done them. And my carved image and my molded image have commanded them. You have heard, see all this, and I will, and will you not declare it? I have made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things, and you did not know them. They are created now and not from the beginning. And before this day you have not heard them, lest you should say, Of course I knew them. Surely you did not hear, surely you did not know. Surely from long ago your ear was not opened. For I knew that you would deal very treacherously and were called a transgressor from the womb. For my name's sake, I will defer my anger and for my praise, I will restrain it from you so that I do not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be profaned and I will not give my glory to another. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. All of you assemble yourselves and hear. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him, and his way will prosper." Come near to me, hear this, I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there, and now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way that you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand, and your offspring and the offspring of your body, like the grains of sand. His name would not have been cut off, nor destroyed from before me. Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans, with a voice of singing, declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob, and they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock, and the waters gushed out. 
There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Isaiah was an interesting prophet. We know that there's, this is a long book, a lot of words, and he seems to have been a fairly well-educated man because of, of the number of different words that he used in the original language. He had, uh, it seems, a very good understanding of their language and uses a lot of expression and descriptive words in describing what God was going to do with his people. Some of the things that he's prophesying about here, I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking into the specifics of how they were fulfilled and what he was all referring to, but instead I want to look more at at the overall plan of redemption that is revealed here, uh, not only for the children of Israel at that time, but also for us today. Some of these things he's referring to here, um, he was saying, um, I'm not sure, 80, 100 years or more maybe before it happened. I didn't look at the timeline real closely. But he is referring to, I think in this chapter, he's referring some to King Cyrus, though he doesn't mention his name here. But if you go back to some of the previous chapters, he talks about the King Cyrus and how he would deliver God's people. I think in verse 14 here, he may be referring to that when he says, um, he shall do his pleasure on Babylon, his arm shall be against the Chaldeans, at least from, from what I understand he may be referring to that, that coming king that would come and deliver his people from Babylon. <clears throat> and that was fulfilled a long time after that. <clears throat> so how, how do we see God's redemption plan here in Isaiah 48? First of all, in, in verses 1 through 8, I'm going to focus for a little on that. We cannot hide from God. He knows our sin and he knows the the desperate situation that we're in. He knows how how helpless we are. He says here, Israel, you know, they they, they use the right names. They they identify with the right people. They call on God. They they make mention of the God of Israel. But then he says it's not in truth or in righteousness. God sees that they are living as hypocrites. And that is true for us today. He sees how sinful we really are. He knows when we're only speaking the right words, when our heart is not right. And yes, it's so easy for us to identify with the right people, but not in truth. God knows what we are really made of. He made our bodies, gave us our minds, and he knows what is in our hearts. The word obstinate there means firmly and stubbornly adhering to one's own opinion or purpose, unyielding and inflexible. God sees our desperate situation and our sinfulness. He knows what we are really made of. And he declared what was going to happen and it came to pass. In verse before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you, lest you should say, my idols have done them, and my carved images and my molded images have commanded them. So God prophesied, God revealed to us a long time ago already that what was going to happen so that we cannot, so that we are without excuse, so that we cannot blame others. <clears throat> God sees our sin, and he said this is what is going to happen, that we're going to sin. 
He knows that we are transgressors from the womb, is the phrase he uses in verse 8. You have heard and you have seen, but will you declare it? Or what he's saying there, you, you, you know all this, I've told you this, but you still don't admit it. He knows that we are in a desperate situation in our sin. But he has shown a plan, he has revealed here a plan to show mercy. In verses 6 through 9, you've heard this, you've seen all this, and yet you don't admit it. But I have made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things and things you did not know. So he's saying there's some things I've told you long ago and you don't have excuse. But I am also revealing new things to you here. And he may have been specifically referring to his plan to deliver his people from Babylon at that time. But that's also true in the sense for us today, that he has given us new things And those new things are uh, Matthew thirteen eleven. He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. There he's talking about a mystery that is being revealed, the plan of salvation, the new thing that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sin. And um, a few other examples of where it talks about this mystery in the New Testament. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There was something new revealed in God's plan of salvation. And then also in the future, in Revelations 21, it talks about, Behold, I make all things new. So there's more to be revealed yet to us of what our salvation all includes. God has a plan for mercy. Though he sees the people's sin, and he sees our sin, and yet he says, For my name's sake I will defer my anger. I will postpone or delay, is what the word deferred means. I will put it off for a time. And many times God would stop his judgment on the people of Israel. He, he would bring a king to punish them for a while when, when they failed to follow his commands or he would uh, allow them to be taken captive. But then he would be, bring that to an end <clears throat> to give them an opportunity to come back to him. God is still working in that way for us today. We are living in a time when God's anger is deferred, when it's postponed until a later time. We're living in a time when God is showing us mercy. We have that opportunity to come to him, to be saved from our desperate situation, our sinfulness that we are in. <clears throat> but it's only postponed. Notice that. It's deferred, meaning it's put off for a time. But a time is coming when God's anger the full force of his hang anger will be revealed. And we know that is in the coming judgment. So God has a plan to show his mercy. I see too in this chapter that God sees potential in his people. He hasn't given up on them despite the fact that they were sinners, transgressors from the womb. In verse 10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. 
God looks on his people and he, he, he tests them because he knows that there is potential there, that they can be refined, that they can be changed into something better. It is God's grace that does that for us today, his mercy, that at times we are tested, we're put through the fire, refined, because God knows that there is something better there in us. He sees potential in us. He also sees potential in us when he teaches us in verses 16 and 17. Come near to me, hear this, I have spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there, and now the Lord God and His Spirit have sent me. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit and leads you in the way that you should go. This shows us that God sees potential in us. He wants to teach us. He wants to lead us, even though we have gone astray. In verses 18 and 19, we see him lamenting the fact that what could have been, but is not. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments, that your peace would have been like a river. And, and he goes on there how that um, the offspring of your body could have been like the grains of the sand. And his name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me forever. He laments what could have been if they had not turned away from him. But he extends his mercy. He calls out and draws us back to him to give us another opportunity. Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing, declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth, says the Lord. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob in verse 20. He gives us another opportunity. That's what he was was prophesying would happen here to the children of Israel. Even though they had failed in following his commands, there would be a time when they would go forth out of Babylon. We know that's, what, that's exactly what happened. They spent 70 years there in Babylon as captives. But then, through King Cyrus, were given that permission to leave, to go back to their country, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Though God laments what we could have been if we had not sinned, he has a plan of deliverance. He sees potential in us. And then he reminds us in 21 that despite all this, um, he will provide for us, even through this testing that he takes, takes us through. And he talks about giving the children of Israel water in the desert, providing for them when they were in their journey through the, the wilderness there. They spent many years in the wilderness because they failed to put their faith in God. That was a form of punishment to them that they wandered in the wilderness. But even there, he caused water to come out of the rocks so that they would have what they needed, so that he would be able to save them. God sees potential in us. He reminds us of his provisions even when we are in the desert. He is faithful in giving us what we need that we can turn to him. And he does all this to protect his name. And I think that's one of the very significant things about God's whole plan of salvation is that he does it to protect his name. If you go back to verses 9 and verse 11, <clears throat> for my name's sake, I will defer my anger. And in 11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? 
I will not give my glory to another. God gives us that assurance that that He will protect His name. And I think this is just beautiful to think about how that, that God here is protecting His name and that He allows us to come into His, his family. He uses that description um, in the New Testament many times of how in, in coming to Christ, He is our Father. We are His children. We are His family. Children take the name of their Father. God will protect His name. And it may seem at first glance like God is being somewhat selfish here and just looking out for Himself. But He is calling us and giving us by deferring his anger, he's giving us the opportunity to come into his family, to take his name, to be identify with him. And the fact that he will not give that glory to another and that for his name's sake he will do this is because he's doing it for us as well. He's allowing us the opportunity to be a part of his family. This is not a selfish desire to give himself all the credit. But he will not give his glory to another. He will preserve that for himself and for his people, for his family, for those who identify with him. What makes God glorious is the fact that he redeems his people and his creation. If God would have completely given up on his people and destroyed them, then his name would not be glorified. His name, his, um, name would not have been protected. But he redeems his people to make his name glorious. That spells out a plan of salvation for us today, just as it did for the children of Israel, as, as they heard Isaiah prophesy, as they uh, considered what that meant, and as I, Isaiah himself tried to, I think, according to First Peter, tried to understand what all that was referring to. It was more than just saving the people from the Babylonians, but it was God's plan of, for eternity of saving his people. <clears throat> Turn back with me to 1 Peter 1 again, and I'd just like to read some more of those verses there and challenge you on, on what he is saying here. 1 Peter 1, verses, beginning of verse um, I think I'll begin in verse 7. So he's, he's talking to a people here who were um, scattered around because of persecution. So they were facing persecution. They were being tested. They were being um, tried in the fire, if you will. <clears throat> Peter says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy and expressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that will come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. 
the Old Testament prophets understood that what they were prophesying was not just for that day, that time, but was pointing forward to the salvation that Christ would bring to his people. <clears throat> the revelation of Jesus Christ, even in the Old Testament, how he has revealed, does this bring inexpressible joy to you, as Peter says here? Though we don't see him, yet we believe and rejoice with joy inexpressible. There I see that by studying the Old Testament prophets, and of course along with the New Testament accounts, we can see the revelation of Jesus Christ. We can see him revealed, and it should bring to us an inexpressible joy. That should be something that we are experiencing today. An inexpressible joy, because Christ has been revealed to us. Today God's anger is deferred. It's put off for a time. Now is our opportunity to receive him. My challenge to you is receive the grace of God. And when you fall into sin, know that he sees potential in you. He will extend his mercy to you. He has promised that he will. His anger is deferred for a time, but there is coming a judgment day. So today is the opportunity for us to receive his mercy and find that inexpressible joy. Let's kneel for prayer. God in heaven, we thank you that we can open your word this morning and study it. And even in the Old Testament, these books that were written many, many years ago, we can see your great plan of redemption. And we can, um, it brings joy to our hearts to see how that you we're willing to reach out to us in our desperate situation that we were in, in sin. And you were willing to defer your anger and draw us back to you because of your name's sake, because you will protect your name and your name will be glorified. Thank you that you have revealed this to the Old Testament prophets and their words are true for us today. Help us to... Remember that today is the day of salvation and not to put off the opportunity we have to accept your mercy and grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Carol, would you lead us in a closing song?